Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of One Broken Mom. I am always excited about every guest that I bring on to the show and an opportunity to be able to share something new. And uh, today is one of those times, and I'm, I'm super stoked. Um, Frank Anderson came across, I think, my hemisphere. Maybe it was through LinkedIn and you know, going in and making connections that way. I believe that's how our paths crossed. And he has a fantastic new book that's actually just been released this year called Transcending Trauma, which is Healing Complex PTSD with Internal Family Systems. Now, his commitment, and I've taken some of this off of his website because it's so beautifully worded, um, his commitment is to promote compassion, hope, and healing and nonviolence in the world. And his specialty is actually in understanding and treating the effects of psychic pain and trauma. Um, unique as both a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist. He's passionate about teaching brain-based psychotherapy, which I love as a neuroscience nerd, and integrating current neuroscience knowledge into um, a model of therapy called IFS, or internal family systems. And it's an evidence-based treatment that offers an accelerated path to self-awareness and permanent emotional healing, which is why we're all here. We're all learning how to do that for ourselves. And so um, welcome to the show today. Uh, and do I call you Dr. Frank, Dr. Anderson? Do I call you Frank? Like what's your preferred salutation? Totally Frank. Frank. Okay. Totally, <laughs> totally Frank. Frank. Yeah. Like <laughs> you could call me totally Frank or just Frank. Yeah. I'm not, okay. I'm not one of these doctor people. I mean, I am a physician and I'm not into the doctor title at all. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. I know some people feel really strongly about it. Like it gives yes. a lot of work and a lot of effort. And so, you yeah. know, they want that. And I'm, I'm cool with that. I have a master's degree. I haven't quite gotten into like calling me master a me or master queer Coney, but <laughs> kind of sounds like that'd be a cool way to go. Um, great. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, as we were talking um, briefly before we started recording here, you know, a lot of the listeners um, of the show are actually a blend of the of therapists, you know, and as we know, therapists go to therapy, like everybody should go to therapy, but therapists also yeah. go to therapy. But therapists also do listen to One Broken Mom because it's insights, right? Like I'm, you know, we're talking yeah. about subjects, we're getting into the minds of all of us here. And then I've got folks that listen to the show that are not therapists. And I'd like us to actually talk to both of those people today because yes. you have a, a, a new approach that um, around healing trauma that is new to me yeah. and new to other people. And so let's start there. Let's talk about what IFS is and its and its use and that you've seen as being a way of treating complex PTSD. And actually, feel free to also define redefine complex PTSD for the listeners that are jumping into this maybe for the first time. Yeah, yeah. So um, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, 
This is something that I'm so passionate about, and it's something that is personal for me, and it's something that I want to do in the world. So uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So this whole, I guess I'll first start with, like, what is this? What is IFS? And then what is relational trauma as I define it? And, you know, um, IFS is this strange, very popular mode of psychotherapy now that's really wildly popular and it's happening all over the world. So it was something that's been in existence really for about 35 years now. Dick Schwartz, the founder of the model, um, was a family therapist by trade. And he was working with families and then started working with young teens kids in juvenile detention centers, and also kids in eating disorder programs, and started hearing kids talk about the parts of them and the way that Dick Schwartz said, hey, wait a minute, this is the way I do family therapy with families. We all have different parts of us. They either work smoothly together or they're in conflict with each other. So he was, he saw the family within, so to speak, not literally, but just different parts. This is where the word the title of it comes from this method of psychotherapy, internal family systems. It's the parts of us within. And of course, parts typically work smoothly together in an integrative approach, but it's with overwhelming life experiences, particularly that these parts end up getting in conflict. They take on extreme roles. They do things that are untoward, but with positive intention which is a really important piece in IFS. Everybody has parts. They're all welcome. They all have positive intention, even the ones that society, culture, and individuals, quote, hate, right? The drinking parts, the cutting parts, the suicidal parts, any of these parts that we want to get rid of, our psyches have this way of pushing them away. But if you start getting curious about them, and if you start really learning their intention from their perspective, you understand that each one of these parts has a positive intention. They're always trying to help and protect wounds. They're mm -hmm. trying to protect the pain that we live in, that we go through, which is inevitable for everybody. It's one of the things that I say probably in the first paragraph of my book, Everybody has a trauma history. I have a trauma history. I may be a trauma expert, but I'm also a trauma survivor. And I personally believe that's true for everyone in any, you know, this is part of our human experience is to go through adversity and to hopefully learn from it, which is really, really so important for me. Mm. Um, the other thing that IFS does talk about is this thing we call self-energy, this inherent wisdom, this inherent healing capacity this wiser mind, as some other modalities call it, that we believe everybody has, we're born with it, it does not need to be cultivated. So one of the things that IFS does is help people access their inner wisdom, their, their intuitive sense of what needs to happen to heal, which is just a beautiful thing. And I really love that even our most and I'm quotes again, broken people, have self-energy, have that essence inside of them. And it's about helping them access it so I can help them heal the pain um, and release the pain that they've experienced so that they can be kind of their normal, authentic, aligned self again. That's who we all are at our core. Trauma blocks that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It blocks our essence. 
Definitely. And I, you know, and I'm thinking about that, that self energy there, um, you know, that's sometimes the trauma is the, uh, may come from doubting that we have that ability to make those changes that, you know, that we've been groomed or pressured by, you know, caregivers at sometimes to not have that self energy because of their inability uh, for whatever their trauma history is and whatever their foibles are. Right. Um, and that, you know, I know that, you know, from personal experience and also just witnessing it, like we, you know, yeah. doubting our inner world, you know, is just like, it's kind of becomes like the, uh, the weakness and a lot of things that we have and all of the belief systems that we carry with us. Um, so I, you know, I appreciate that. Um, the, you know, the word came to my mind today too, as I was, uh, you know, kind of walking around the house and I get up really early, it makes me, some people oh. like go blah. Um, but anger is one of those feelings that I feel like, you know, I was thinking about that as a, as a term of where, um, you know, anger is inspiration. You know, it's, it's, it's a yes. part of the human experience, but it's also yes. like you talk about a part, you know, some yeah. of us have a, an anger, but it's an inspiration to motivate and either ourselves or other people or whatever. And I know that having been around where anger's constantly sequestered or shamed or pushed back down, and then it becomes kind of like trapped in here. And then we see people like vented out wherever they can or as yeah. often as they can, you know, um, and, you know, and, and being able to have capacity and space, you know, for people to do that. So when you talk about IFS as families, now I was thinking about it as working through our external family, like our, our family of origin, yeah. but you're saying that this is actually talking about the family of like just these different um, parts of ourselves and that we are just one family within. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, most people do have a range of wounding from the family that we grow up in. Not everybody, you know, we can talk about that and what, what relational trauma means, complex trauma from that perspective, but you certainly can have wounding when you're growing up in your family of origin for all kinds of ways. What we're talking about in IFS, because sometimes I'll do workshops and people, you know, say, oh, I thought this was a family therapy workshop. And I'm like, nope, sorry, <laughs> you can leave now. If, if that's what you were looking for, it's okay for you to leave. This is about, this is really about the internal family. And again, it's not literal. It's not like I have a mom and a dad, a brother and a sister inside of me necessarily, but it is the constellation of parts of us that we all have, our internal family, is really what the thrust of the work is about. It's working with the parts of us that are naturally there, but take on extreme roles in the service of protection. Okay, mm -hmm. you talked about you talked about this kind of disconnecting from self. You know, if somebody is you know, when we're living in a family or when we're living in the world at school or in a job and something difficult happens for us, we have to survive that, okay? And so certain parts of us will do whatever they can to help us survive, whether it's yelling or screaming or running away and hiding or drinking and binging. So these parts feel forced to take on extreme roles Usually these roles are kind of what they see in their environment. Like if you have a parent who yells at you all the time, you're going to start yelling to try to protect your pain. If you have somebody who's drinking, you're going to drink to protect the pain. You know, one of my clients was like, oh my God, mommy and daddy stopped fighting every time they had cocktails. Mm -hmm. So that little part of this client of mine is like, oh my gosh, drinking takes away the pain. 
you know, so we use what we have in our environment as a service of protection to keep us away from our pain. Okay, mm -hmm. so these parts develop this way, and we have all different kinds of parts. The, the thing is, the protective parts is what we call them in IFS, and they even if they get a bad reputation, their, their intention is to protect us, and that's what we're always paying attention to and focusing on. And then the other thing is, is we also have parts that hold the pain. We have parts that have been, that hold the shame, that hold feeling unlovable, that hold feeling worthless, no good, less than. Those are what we call exiles. Those parts that get exiled. So the pain gets exiled and these protective parts work hard to push that pain away. Like really great idea, however, it ends up causing trouble in our adult life, you know? And so that's what we do in IFS is help release the pain and then allow these protective parts to not have to cut, binge, purge, whatever it is in the service of protection. Because when that core wound is healed, the job of protection is no longer needed. Mm -hmm. That is really the premise um, of IFS. The other thing I'll say is, Self-energy, that thing I talked about earlier, is the ultimate corrective experience for our parts. If your mother or father or aunt or uncle or teacher weren't there for you in the ways that you needed and wanted, self-energy is. So what ends up happening is self is with our parts in this loving, healing, corrective way internally. Mm -hmm. And not the therapist, by the way, <laughs> it's not the therapist's job to be the corrective experience for the client. A lot of people think that a lot of therapists think that, and a lot of clients go in, oh, you're going to be the one I needed and wanted and ever got, you know, one of the titles of Dick Schwartz books, you're the one you've been waiting for. I just <laughs> love, love that title. Yep, right? I love it. Great? <laughs> yep. And it really is empowering to know that you have within you the capacity to heal and rework the pain that you went through. And that's empowering. And honestly, as a therapist, it's a relief. It's like, I don't have to be the one. I will help you do what needs to happen to heal yourself. Like, I think I'm bringing self-awareness and self-connection and self-love to people. Like sign me up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's really what it is. Yeah, totally. I, you know, and I think, and I've said this before, you know, and especially when talking to people casually talking on the show, um, when people don't have a lot of experience of going through therapy or, you know, and, and integrating yeah. it into their life as a part of um, healing. Some people think that therapy should only be in extreme cases. You know, I, I go out and I advocate and I talk about neuroscience and the prevalence of trauma, not as a therapist, but as a trauma survivor. And I, and I yeah. get the word into the business communities that it's there. Like you said, we've all experienced yeah. it to some degree. It, it unfortunately does show up, you know, in our other yeah. parts of our lives, not just our personal relationships or our parenting, but it shows up at work with us as well. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, I, talk about like, you know, when people don't understand what therapy is or how it works or, you know, um, what the healing process is, 
there is an assumption that it happens in the session for the one hour a week or once a month. And then, right. and then somehow the miracle is supposed to be the case. And then, <laughs> but it's actually, you know, like I've said, it's like, yeah, no, it's a daily process. It's like yes. the, the therapist is providing me with the tools. Sometimes they're showing me a perspective that I haven't been able to tap into it myself, yeah. but now I know it's there. It's like peeling back the curtain and pointing at something like, ah, okay. I didn't know I needed to look at that, but my therapist knows I need to look at, at that. But then I then have an obligation and an accountability to myself to after I leave the next day, the day after that and continuing. And that um, one of the guests that I've had on the show and um, consider her a friend is Lindsay Gibson, um, Dr. Lindsay Mm -hmm. Gibson. Um, And she talked about, um, you know, you're not changing your life as much as you're building a habit of Mm self-awareness. It's not like everything goes away. The healing's all perfect. And although some cases it can be right. But what you're mm-hmm. actually building is you're building a new habit of just now being aware and maybe knowing yeah. that there is that family inside of you yeah. <laughs> of all these parts, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love that because it's self, self-awareness self and self-connection, really, because you have you now in a different way. You know, and I love this 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 piece around what you do in that therapeutic, therapeutic hour and then what you do in your life. I mean, it's actually a place after writing this book that I'm really passionate about is moving into the general public. Like I've been doing individual therapy work since 1992, really. And it's always been in the confines of that therapeutic office. And I'm, I'm wanting to help people internalize what they learn so they can take it into their lives, right? But I'm also now shifting into helping people that aren't in therapy. Like this has got to be, I feel like there's a global problem going on here. And we, if people can't afford therapy, if people don't want to be in therapy, we've got to be able to reach those folks too, because trauma is everywhere, whether or not you're interested in going into therapy. And I'm working with some really important coaches now in the coaching field. I'm starting to do some work in the general public because I want to bring this message I want to really bring this message that trauma blocks love and connection. This is really kind of the, one of my favorite quotes of my the book. Trauma blocks love and connection and love and connection is what heals trauma. Mm-hmm. It's a cycle. It's a really important cycle. And so I feel compelled now to be teaching this into the general public. It's like, hey, you can do this too. And some people are really adverse to the word trauma. Like, that's not me. I don't have trauma, right? right it's right. like, I'm not a victim, right? I say, right. okay, well, we don't even have to call it that. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has had overwhelming experiences. Everybody has had difficult moments. You know, I, I, when I do workshops, who hasn't been shamed? Raise your hand. Like, hello. Right. So it's about helping people become aware and learn how to be with themselves in a loving, compassionate way so that you can start releasing some of the stuff that you carry. Some of it probably needs to be done in the confines of a therapy office if it's more extreme nature. But there's also a lot that can be done outside of the therapy office too, which I'm really, I'm really passionate about expanding this to what I call a paradigm for living, not just within psychotherapy, right? Mm -hmm. So that one of the things you say outside the therapy hour is like, I'll often have my clients say, can you just sit with yourself for five minutes a day? Like, you don't even have to do anything. Can you be with yourself for five minutes a day 
and just hang out with whatever's inside. I'm here. I'm with you. What do you need from me? That is so hard for people. Mm. Five minutes a day. It's amazing. But to, to shift the focus of attention inside and just quietly sit five minutes a day is hugely healing. Mm-hmm. It shows these parts that you care, you're interested, and you want to have a connection with them. Because most of our parts are operating independent of us because they're doing what they need to do to protect those wounds. And they don't even know that there's a resource inside that can help them. So for me, I'm always building these internal relationships between self and part outside the therapy session, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, there's somebody in there that's a resource that can, you can work collaborative, collaboratively with. Like trauma heals love and connection inside in some ways more than outside. When you heal those chasms that get created internally as a result of trauma, then you're able to be relationally open in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. What people typically do, I have to say, and, and I didn't make it this way, people try to fix their wounds through outside connections. Right. Okay. Right. You know, there's this, there was this play in Boston and I just love the title years ago called, I love you. You're perfect. Now change. Right. <laughs> and it is this seeking somebody else to help us heal our wounds. Mm-hmm. That's why there's a 50% divorce rate. Excuse yep. me. It doesn't work. Okay. And there is this, if you can do the internal work, you can be the one that heals these wounds yourself then you can share your life with somebody instead of meeting somebody with the hopes that they're going to be able to heal your wounds. We're looking outside for healing because when we're younger, we depend on outside for our sense of safety and well-being. But when we're adults, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. We, have to, we have to do as we call the U-turn, like go inside and do your work. And then you can have a different kind of relationship, you know, but our natural instinct is, oh my God, you're going to fix me. You're going to be better than, right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of a problem. That's why we're in the situations we're in. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, this morning I just had done some journaling and I was writing out my culture, right. And I think about it all the time about it, but I thought, you know, it's important for me because I am becoming, um, again, it, you know, once, once upon a time I did one of those attachment tests, you know, just kind of figure yes. out and, um, my attachment style, you know, it, of course it, it ebbs and flows depending on connection. Right. You know that, of course, it um, does. Yes. but my extreme version is avoidant dismissive, like, you yes. know, that's, and so I have this sometimes churning inside of me, um, because of my trauma. And I'd like to talk about like what types of relational trauma there are, but you know, the result of that yeah. trauma is a defense mechanism, a, um, a story that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm better off alone. I'm better off with a big deep moat that's very wide and very difficult to cross. And one of the things that as I was writing my culture out, though, that I still feels authentic to me is this thing of self-efficacy, right? Of like, I know that 
um, my overwhelm happens when somebody is looking to me to financially support them, emotionally support them, because I can sense that they don't have it unless it, you know, it's coming from me. Yes. And that puts me back on my heels. I know some people run to that, like, oh, yay, project. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Um, And so then I have to, I know that for me, I have to find that movement of when is it a a connection of a healthy place and where is it that I feel like the the wall coming towards me that it's pushing me away. Um, so let's break this out and talk about relational trauma, right? Like what is relational trauma? Well, it's great. Let me, let me back up a little bit because I love that example that you just gave, because, you know, when you're talking about this attachment style of avoidant, right? That's a part, that's a part of you. That's why you said it changes in different relationships. It's a part of you that gets avoidant to protect some part of you that was hurt, so a relational response when somebody moves towards you is the part of you jumps in that backs away to protect whatever's underneath there. And that's, you know, I have the opposite, interestingly enough, as a therapist, when you talked about the other side, mm-hmm. it's like caretaking. Oh my God. Yes. Like it's what <laughs> I do for a living. You know, I'm going to run towards rescuing everybody, which is I, I'll help you. So I don't have to heal my pain. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are both protective responses, whether it's avoidant or whether it's rushing to, right? So we all have these different ways of responding and relating to people relationally, mostly based on protecting our own pain, okay? And so that's what we're healing. That's what we heal, regardless of what style you happen to be in at one moment with one person. It's really rooted in the the wounds that we carry, you know? With relational trauma, you know, it is a violation of who we are. Like relational trauma by definition is a violation of ourselves in some way. And it can happen in childhood, it can happen in adolescence and adulthood and, and, you know, old age, you know, as now I'm 58, old age means like, you know, 90 or 100, right? right? Exactly. (laughs) So when you're young and 58, right? So it's all relative, of course, right? But it is the violation of ourselves. It's a violation of self is what relational trauma is. And it comes in many forms. And, you know, there's so much beautiful work done by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey's new book right now. You know, Bruce Perry's done so much work with the ACE studies and his neurosequential model on what happens to kids when they're chronically relationally violated and all the health problems that become of that and everything. We're learning relational violation is, has huge impact on us. And, you know, if somebody's traumatized once in their life, a single incident trauma, so to speak, most people recover from a single incident trauma. Most everybody recovers. Rarely do you develop PTSD or PTSD or complex PTSD, which is the relational variation after a single event. But if you've been repeatedly relationally violated 50 times a year growing up in an abusive household, the chances of you recovering from that are really difficult. You know what I mean? So this repeated relational violation is what we're talking about in complex PTSD. And it happens in all forms. It happens in schools being bullied. It happens in um, adults when we get into abusive relationships. You know, it's a, there's a, a really interesting piece of work done by Rachel Yehuda um, from Albert Einstein. And this is this piece of 
women, she studied a bunch of college age women who were date raped. Okay. And she looked, she you know, looked at them and it ended up that the women, like how, how did they get, why did this certain pool get date raped more than other pools of women, you know? And one of those was when looking at that is the women that grew up in healthier, healthier environments sensed the danger much more quickly mm-hmm. and decided no instead of yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was the priming being able to say no. You know, you talked about anger. Anger is a beautiful boundary mm-hmm. when it's healthy. No, right? And the and the the people that the women that were relationally violated didn't have those boundaries and the ability to say no. So they were more likely to say yes. No blaming at all, just the way you approach relationship because of what you grew up in. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was really interesting was the women that developed complex PTSD had a prior trauma that they had the one that they recovered from, but the second or third one they couldn't recover from because our bodies are primed after our first trauma. So the more we have, the more we're likely to get in these situations, no blaming, Mm -hmm. it's what we know, it's what familiar is, and it's how we didn't learn how to do it differently. So it's like we fall into these situations because oftentimes people, how come I have so many? And there's this accumulation because of this cumulative effect of relational trauma and the difficulty, especially if you're in an unsafe environment, not being able to fully recover. Is there repair? Is there an opportunity for healing? Does the perpetrator take responsibility for what they've done? Is there a corrective experience? And most people don't have that when they're growing up in these kinds of families. And so this is their way of relating. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is why it gets repeated over and over again, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But good news, the silver lining, and I will say this as one of those people, is it is recoverable. You can heal from this. This is one of this is my platform, is I had a really significant childhood trauma history. And I'm not living that anymore. And I'm not repeating that anymore because I have done my work. I'm continuing to do my work. I will always be doing my work. And I'm not, re- I'm not reliving my patterns in the same way. I'm clear of the stuff that I was carrying because healing is possible. Healing mm-hmm. is possible. That is really, really my message as somebody who's done it as somebody who wants to help people do it, and now as somebody who wants to talk to the general population about it. Yes, you too can do this. Yeah, yeah, no, that's inspiring. And I, again, trying to share that with as many people as possible is, you know, definitely um, a great goal. Um, You know, and and for people that have listened to the show before, they know that I have shared my abuse, uh, my history, and and I've said the, you know, the same things that you're saying. So thank you so much for reiterating that, that um, there is no shame in abuse. Um, I've talked about it publicly, um, you know, that it is this. It's like when you have a a sense of what the world is like and what people are like and what you're supposed to do in order to survive in it, of course, we carry that over. And then the conflict, like you said, like you've, you've described throughout this, you know, this whole interview so far is like, we have these parts of us, right? We have a part that yes. knows that abuse is wrong, but then we have a part of us that doesn't understand what the alternative actually looks like. 
And so yes. then there's another part that just says, well, then we just stick with what we know because we've learned how to survive it. So let's just keep this you know, train going in that direction. And then we get into more treacherous situations, um, you know, where it becomes an overwhelm. Um, And so I, you know, and so I think, I think people listening, I appreciate you saying that, like, there is no shame here. This is why we're here. We're unpacking how it happens. There are people out there in the world that don't understand abuse and they do judge and shame people for that, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I know for me going through like, so the last relationship that I had was, uh, was abusive. It was emotionally um, and financially abusive. Um, and it was difficult because it's sometimes when you go through abusive relationships, it's much easier to show up with a black eye because then it's obvious, but when you are going through a psychologically abusive, manipulative, controlling, and, you know, violent, you know, like emotionally violent situation, it's harder for people to see that. And you feel definitely detached from reality and questioning and, and things, especially again, if your relational history is something to make you doubt yourself repeatedly and to, and to take parts of you and put them away because they don't serve the greater good air quotes around that word. Good of the family and what the family wants or what a parent needs from you to, you know, to act and behave like. Um, So detoxing was important for me, like just to re-regulate my nervous system to go through the withdrawals of the, the intensity and the up and down and this belief system. Right. I yes. have found, however, I seem to become a feral cat. And I think it's that avoidant nature of me where it's yes. like once I make connections with parts of me, I, I have difficulty. I have a sense of mistrust of, yeah. of the world. You know, I do admit that. Like, I don't like that feeling, but sometimes that feeling does come up into the, the head that, okay, um, where's the evidence that there are people that I can be authentic to yes. that aren't just telling me that they want to be authentic. But then, you know, once we get a few weeks down the road or months down the road, again, all the parts of me are not welcome to the table. Yeah. Right. Um, and so there's that where I'm like, well, you know, being a feral cat's actually pretty fun too. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm used to my company, but I know that's not right. Like I do know there's the other part of me, right. The other part of my family (laughs) that goes, I mean, come on, you know, that that's not really healthy for you and that's not good for you. Um, so, so how does IFS treatment approach these challenges when, especially when there's a deeper trauma associated with like abusive pasts? Yeah, that's great. So let me say a couple things. I'm going to back up a little bit of me when you talked about shame. Okay. Cause I want to, I want to talk about this, this, the distortion that we do to ourselves as a result of relational violation. This is one of the things I write about in the book, Transcending Trauma, is I really believe that there's most trauma survivors will walk away when they've been relationally violated is I'm bad, I'm wrong. That's what the shame response is. It's the, it's a, the responsibility is mine. I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm no good. Okay, shame has this, your eyes are down. Don't look at me, I'm a bad person, okay? And the way in my belief system, the way that I know that shame develops is when somebody is abusive to you and they don't take responsibility for it, it's natural for us to take responsibility for what somebody else has done. It's a distortion in responsibility. And we do this. This is like human nature. If if somebody who's abusive to you, especially when we're children, not only you're a worthless piece of crap, for example, 
and they don't say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that this was my fault, then you're going to say I'm a worthless piece of crap. Mm -hmm. So there's always this shame distortion. It's a distorted belief around responsibility. What am I, is it my responsibility or is it really the responsibility of the person? So I'm being me and it's the way they're reacting to me that is the real problem. But then we turn it into, it's my problem because I'm bad. So there is a distortion of responsibility when we blame ourselves. So I just wanna, I wanna share that with people. You know, Brene Brown talks about shame and she talks about vulnerability. Like when we share our vulnerable selves, that's beautiful. How people react to it is the real problem. So when you're talking about, hey, is there any way that I could be me in the world, right? It's really the way people react to me that's the real problem. And interestingly enough, so the second piece of what you said here is, from my perspective anyways, when I do heal my wounds, I'm not energetically attracting people who are going to respond the way I'm familiar with. So when I heal my wounds, I start attracting and seeing people who can see me in a more healthy way. So it's always been fascinating to me. Every time I grow, every time I heal, the people in my life get healthier. (laughs) Okay. And so when we're repeating these patterns, it's because we're still living on some level, our pain. Mm -hmm. And the more we clear our pain, the more we don't draw that energy to us anymore because we're not trying to fix it by the people we draw. We draw. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep, totally. So it's really fascinating. I've done this huge piece of work. Like this book was so therapeutic for me. Like, oh my God, it really was my life's work. And I talk about my own personal trauma history in the book. And when I brought it out to the world, it was such a like a cathartic release. It was so personally healing for me you know, and I just did this huge clearing, right? I worked on that book for four years when you're like steeped in everything. And now all of a sudden, these amazing people are showing up in my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? And they really are showing up in my life because I'm in a different space. So I'm able to attract a different energy because I'm not carrying that the same energy that I was carrying these younger, younger parts looking for someone to heal me. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a very important perspective. And I, you know, easier said than done. I know when you're in the thick of it, like when you're blended is what we call it in IFS, when you're in your trauma, when you're living it, it's very hard to have that perspective that I'm talking about. It's very hard to what we call separate from your trauma, to listen to it, to be with it instead of in it. Mm-hmm. It's a very important distinction. Like if anyone can talk about the parts of them, they're not in the parts of them. Mm-hmm. You understand that? It's like, yeah, oh, there's a part of me that feels this way. I'm not in it. I'm with it. Versus I'm sick and tired of idiots in my life, right? <laughs> then I'm in it, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, I'm always trying, this is one of the things as I move into the general public with my message to help people be with instead of in, with instead of in. It's almost like the first step, 
-hmm. Could you be with your experience instead of in it? It's kind of a game changer in a very simple way. Yeah. Oh gosh. That I mean, just listening to that 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 qualification right there of yes. the difference in language, right? And the, that's also yes. the part of it, like NLP and you know, and Tony yeah. Robbins and like you know the words we choose, right? And how we talk about our existence and to be able to say, um, and I, you know, I have I that's been part of my learning, right? Is to yeah, right. Um, is to say that like yes, it's not me. I'm not a, this person. But to be able to pull back, like you said, if to say that I have parts of me that feel this way sometimes, and I know why, like, you know, and I know when it's my little person and I know it's when it's my pissed off teenage person. And then I know where, what part of me is me today, you know, that's going through that. Um, And so that's, I I love that for people to think like, if you start to talk, if you can, right. Like first there's the can, can I say that I'm not an angry person, but you know, parts of me feel angry at certain times of the day or when certain things happen and that there is a difference in how that, right. We don't, we don't, um, I see my, um, I I talked with somebody actually a couple of weeks ago and he said that was a big shift for him was to say that I'm not doing this, my brain to switch it to my, my brain is telling me to do this right now. Right. Right. And to just detach from from that in a way that's still not like disassociation, but it's like, you know, still a healthy way of, you know, of putting that in there. Yeah. I like that. That's actually like yeah. pretty good. It's yeah. Healthy separation. We call it separation or unblending. Like, you know, that's when anybody who is a therapist out there and is even working with kids who have been traumatized play therapy in and of itself is having kids separate from their parts. They're playing the game. Oh, mommy does this. Daddy does this. Like it's putting it out there. So there's ways to, that's not dissociating. That's being with it instead Mm -hmm. of being taken over by it. Like that's Mm -hmm. one of my messages for people. If you're in it too much and you're taken over by it, you can't do that work alone. Mm -hmm. That's when you need to kind of try to reach out and get some help if you're too in it, right? Mm -hmm. But if you can be with it, you can see about being a compassionate, loving presence for the parts of you that are angry or pissed or feel unloved or feel worthless. Like the being with is a really it's important first step. It's not the only thing, but it's a really important first step um, to have that objectivity. Um, in a way uh, that's super helpful. Anybody who's in any intimate relationship is like, I'm sick of you. It's like, is so much harder to hear. Like if I'm like, I'm sick of you, you're of course going to attack back. That's right. the only yeah. like, cause it's like all of me feels all of this about all of you. Like it's, I'm going to get an attack back. Mm-hmm. You know, if a part of me is mad right now, It's like, oh, part of you is mad, but other parts of you feel different things. Like it's inherent in the message that it's not a hundred percent. Right, right. And we're used to seeing that in conversations and dialogues and arguments, either on TV or in, you know, things. Yes. You're so this. And because you did this one thing, that means all of this is like been wasted, right? Like, you know, I'm violated. The trust is gone. You know, whatever it is, but it's like this hyperbolic response to like, it's all or nothing, right? Black and white. Yeah. And yeah. And and I, you know, we go back to, you know, the subject of the, of the episode is how trauma blocks love. Yeah. It it makes it like you said at the beginning, like we, the over response because of the trauma then just swallows really the nuances of all of this, because we just, we've been surviving this whole time. 
And, you know, we just inflate quickly in order to be able to protect ourselves. And that's where trauma can make that inflation bigger, you know, depending on how much we've had and how persistent and common it was. Um, You know, one of the things when we talk about trauma, as you know, you know, people do think of it as extreme forms of violence or, you know, disruption. But when our caregivers, that complex part, you know, when the people around us and closest to us, very, I call it the death by a thousand cuts right? Like the complexity of losing every day, some connection or having it disrupted and broken by emotional um, neglect or bullying from our own parents or teasing or just invalidating or, you know, punishing pressure control every single day, um, you know, to those parts of us, almost like they, they help build the gaps between those parts of us, you know, um, which is an unfortunate consequence of some parenting, you know, and not knowing what we didn't know. Um, it does make it hard to, to pull that back together. So, well, let's talk about your book. Um, we're coming up here on the end and I want to give everybody time. Plus you have other resources for, again, we've got two audiences here. We've got all of us that are just the humans learning how to be better people and how to grow and (laughs) heal ourselves. And then there are some of us listening that actually help other people with that process. So, um, talk about you and, and your book and other resources that you have for folks. Yeah, definitely. Sure. So the book Transcending Trauma, and it really, it's a book that's more of a book for therapists and for clients. So it's kind of in that genre, if you will, uh, called Transcending Trauma. Um, It's for clients and therapists alike, learning how to do this IFS, explaining this IFS method method of therapy. There's a lot of neuroscience knowledge in there, personal stories and going through that, the process of healing, primarily and particularly relational trauma. You know, you can get that book on Amazon. You can get that book on PESI.com, P-E-S-I.com. It's also on Audible and all the Audible, um, you know, Apple and Spotify and things like this for people that like to listen instead of read. Um, you can also, I've got a, a the website that you saw, I'm, I've got a brand new website coming out kind of any day right now, but my website is frankandersonmd.com. So you can go to the website and you can sign up for my newsletter and things like this and see all the workshops that I do. I do tons of workshops now. I used to be traveling all throughout the world. Now I'm sitting right here. You'll see this familiar scene. (laughs) You know, tonight I'm going to be in Australia from six to nine tonight doing a workshop. So it's really been an amazing new way of getting this message out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my workshops and things like that are on my listed on my website. Also through Instagram and Facebook, I think my Instagram is Frank underscore Anderson um, or LinkedIn. So all the social media sites I'm on. Um, And there's many courses that I do. So if people want to learn, so for the therapists that want to learn, PASI.com has a ton of, a big library of courses that I've done, workshops that I've done. So you can learn more about IFS. You can learn more about trauma treatment as it relates to that. So, and, you know, to come, after we get done here, I'm actually talking to a publisher around writing a memoir, actually, on my own personal history to really that next step into the general public, like to really share my story personally with the world, which I'm so honored that they're interested in that and excited uh, to be able to do that. So I really want to keep reaching people and, and letting them know healing is possible. Life can be different. We learn a lot when we kind of overcome, heal from our trauma, and we live our best, most aligned and authentic life, actually. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. So Thank you so much for your time and and thank you for what you do. 
you know, uh, I, I mean, you've made this your mission for many years and, um, yeah. and, you know, it's, uh, your, the hopefulness that you bring, like, right. Like that's a necessary yeah. ingredient to healing is to know it is actually possible and to be examples and to show ways for people to be able to do it. And so yeah. thank you so much for that and taking the time to talk with me and for my listeners to get, um, you know, to learn more and hear from you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for doing what you're doing, because you are also part of that interconnected web is the way I like to think of it. All of us are doing this work in a way to heal. So thank you. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiricone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Quirconi, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.